today's episode is brought to you by Musical Theater Radio's merch store. Looking for that perfect gift for someone or just want to treat yourself to some great musical theater themed merch? Head to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the All Things Theater button on the homepage and check out all the different designs available. And now, today's interview. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theatre Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. It is time once again for you, the listener, and me, the host, to discover a new musical. You all know I love learning about a show I've never heard of before. Well, today, we are with the creators of Much Ado About Nothing, the musical. So let's welcome Janet McMahon and David Hunsinger to the show. Janet, David, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank Wonderful. you for that enthusiastic welcome. You're welcome. So before we get into the show, I always get like to get to know you guys a little bit more, get the audience to, to get a feel of who you are. So I always do a 30-second bio. So Janet, you're up first. Who is Janet in 30 seconds? In 30 seconds. Well, my name is Janet McMahon. I'm born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a piano player and writer. I uh, have a degree from mid last century from Lipscomb University and uh, went to work as a piano player right after school. I was I was a Roy Orbison's keyboard player on the road and went to Canada a whole lot back in the day. And then I just did sessions and gigs and all sorts of things. And then I started writing. I wrote a ton of, am I up to 30 seconds yet? You can keep going. <laughs> That's okay. Then uh, I ended up uh, writing a lot of children's works, uh, some uh, like church children's works and also educational works um for like some company did a little bit for sesame street um simon and schuster uh silver Burdett, mcmillan those companies did writing and production in their children's world so have a lot of uh experience in in the writing the children's world but always love theatrical stuff and as i've gotten older i've sort of grown up out of the children's thing into adult musicals not adult musicals, but, you know, <laughs> grown-up musicals. <laughs> well, this interview is going to be really interesting now. <laughs> so that's kind of the 30-second. No problem. Uh, David, can you top that in 30 seconds? Well, I don't know if I can top that, but I was uh, raised in L.A., came to Nashville at 20 in the mid-'70s to play for a group on the road. Somebody had seen me on TV and recommended me. And I never even thought about having a career as a session musician, but that's what I did for 30 years. I played on all kinds of great records, a lot of gospel stuff, Dolly Parton, uh, Aretha Franklin, many records. And I met Janet in the 80s and played on much of the, uh, many of the children's musicals that she wrote. And I started doing my own artist records in the 90s and had the uh, privilege of co-producing Andy Griffith uh, singing hymns, which sold fabulously and changed my life. And Janet drug me into the theater world, and I've loved it. My contributions are mostly uh, uh, musical, but I'm happy with the theater world. That was not my emphasis before, but I love it. Nice. So, well, that, that kind of gives me an idea of how the first question usually is, um, were you always into musical theater or theater growing up? Now, obviously, David, you discovered it a little bit later then. 
um, what, what was that turning point? Well, I had my favorite musicals. My wife in our 20s listened to South Pacific and Fiddler on the Roof and a few of the biggies over and over. So I knew every song, but I didn't see much live musical theater. But Jana was always writing um, educational and uh, musicals. And I played on many of them in Nashville, you know, minor works. But then she, we had an opportunity to write some musicals and I just loved it, fell in love with it. Love the tight Broadway style writing. The requirements are tougher than just country music writing in terms of rhymes and structure and the way a song has to progress a plot, all that kind of stuff. So I fell in love with it. Very cool. And Janet, were you always in a musical theater growing up? From day one, from day one, I was obsessed with The King and I, still am, named my daughter, Anna, or Anna, either one, and uh, just absolutely fell in love with that. I, as a child, I wanted to be like a Broadway star singer, but the problem is I can't act or sing. So that sort of put the kibosh on that. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I, uh, I've, I loved it from day one. I, I've always felt, when I, when, when I sit down in a theater and the overture starts, I, heaven has entered the room. I love it. And um, probably the Rogers, you know, King and I, South Pacific, Sound of Music, Oklahoma. I listened to those records over and over and danced, you know, with my hairbrush as my microphone, like I needed a microphone for Broadway. But um, <laughs> I just, I just loved it from the beginning. And I had a little stint as a country songwriter being in Nashville, you know, I guess that's a rite of passage. And I enjoyed it and had a little bit of, you know, a few artist cuts and, liked it but it didn't just pull on my heartstrings like the theater music does i love country music but but there's just something within my heart and soul that screams theater music very nice very nice so i found personally i'm sorry go ahead no go on no i was gonna say trying to write country songs for janet and me is like you have to try to figure out the personality rather than it being real sentiment some people can do it but uh, and I appreciate good country songwriting, but it doesn't feel as real as a good theater emotional song that develops a character and a purpose. Well, for instance, David was talking about the standards of Broadway writing. I love the old standards. I mean, I, I love modern Broadway too. Love it, but I love the perfect rhymes. And um, I I went to a ASCAP musical. I was part of a, the ASCAP musical theater workshop in the '90s. And uh, Sondheim was one of our speakers and he was talking about perfect rhymes and and um, perfect scansion. And also it's more interesting to rhyme a noun with a verb mm. or it's more inter interesting to rhyme a one syllable word. Like it's more interesting to rhyme uh, blue and rendezvous than it is to rhyme blue and do. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that, that... I mean, they do that some in country music too, but it's really effective in, in theater music. So pardon the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> and I've observed Janet's writing. She'll throw away gems because she can't find the perfect rhyme or whatever. I mean, she works hard, but it's like she insists that puzzle is perfect. Well, thank you. And some people say, well, rhyming can be, be more awkward than not rhyming, but not if you find the right one. You need to, you know, perfect lyric feels inevitable. I mean, right. who can criticize Sondheim mm -hmm. as being awkward just to rhyme? So that's a great achievement of Broadway in general. 
for sure. It, it is it is kind of a different writing style for country pop, any of that stuff, because like you said, there it isn't the character, right? It is the performer singing a song. It is not, you know, Anna singing to the king, right? It's it is right. a little bit different. Right. So I'm curious from the from the pop or the country style. How do you how do you guys do that then to write for something when it's not a, a character? David, do you want to? Well, I mean, we've written, for example, gospel songs, and that's, I guess, the character of a God or your own experience. But I haven't written too many country songs. I've tried. My wife and I have written a few and now we laugh at them <laughs> we had a song called deal me in which was the whole gambling but you know take a chance on me and it just doesn't work but i do respect great country writing it's just that uh it's a different thing well and i think there, you know it's just a whole different purpose in in like musical theater i think usually when you can't say it in words you need to say it in the song, mm -hmm. you know, the plot progressors, that is, that is so important. You know, you start out at A and you end up at C by the end of the song. Although some songs are just there to emphasize a moment and you need a big dance break and you just sort of need a break from all this talky, talky, talky. Mm -hmm. But I think usually I'm not the expert, uh, you know, know all, but I think that the pro plot progression is a huge thing. You got to get from A to B, and um, uh, or just you you are developing a character, and um, you know, seeing the like when we get into the, the 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 our show, we have these characters called the Cupid Muses who are kind of the conscience mm. of Benedict. So you know, there are just lots of things you can play around with a lot of things that in a country song. Uh, you know, you don't really have as many, at least in, in my experience, you don't have those, all those options to have like the, the, the super conscious and the subconscious and the, and all, you know, your past and all this stuff coming to you at the same time. It's just, it's, it's, it's a whole theater moment. It's, it's just a very different kind of thing. Yeah. Because which is not to say there are some country songs that are theatrical. There are some Great songs, Chris oh, Christopherson, Curly Putnam. But those people had probing songs. I'm one of my criticisms of criticisms of modern country is it it's kind of a fictional thing. You know, you have college degree people writing about driving down a two uh, lane road to the country house, grandpa, and having a tailgate party. You know, they're not real, but they're <laughs> fantasies. <laughs> Well, and again, I, I mean, there are a lot, like there's a song that just kills me. I listen to it almost every day. I want to talk about me by Bobby Braddock. Mm -hmm. Toby Keith sings it, but it's just, it's, it's, it, it takes, it's a theater moment. It's a theater moment. Definitely. It's just fabulous, but I'm not as good at that. I'm, I'm just not, yeah. I, I w wish I could be, but my heart is in this. Um, my heart belongs to Sondheim. <laughs> And and no, but you're, you're right with, with theater, we have the opportunity to, we can make it as short as 20 seconds or as long as seven minutes, whereas a yes. country or a pop song, you kind of have to make it three and a half minutes. If you go to four minutes, you're pushing, unless it's a, you know, it's a ballad and you Absolutely. can't really explore 
whatever. And you're right, Chris Christopherson, a product of the 70s, which was a completely different writing style. You know, you got the singer songwriter. Now you have in any genre, like you said, it's academic <laughs> more than experiential. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the 70s was kind of a poetic era. Mm -hmm. You know, even in pop music, there were a lot of lot of great songs. Yeah. Yeah. The, if you want storytelling, you, you just go to the 70s, <laughs> right? For the for the, the songwriters of any genre of any time. So absolutely fantastic. So let's let's dive into your show, um, Much Ado About Nothing, the musical. So give us the plot and then uh kind of how you got into writing it. Well, about 10 years ago, um, we were asked to do this for a local production and they gave us the concept of the World War II boys were coming home and everybody was falling in love and there was a lot of craziness and mayhem and love and lust and, and uh, deceit and all the things that go along with falling in love. And um, <laughs> so we, we wrote the show since then we've completely re not completely we've redone it in many ways, added songs, added dance numbers, added incidental music, added uh, three characters that aren't in the original Shakespeare. You know, it's an original um, originally it was a Shakespeare's one of his most popular romantic comedies and uh the main characters Beatrice are Beatrice and Benedict, and they have a crazy match of wits. They they protest too much though because they really do love each other, but it's acerbic, and they you know they are very snarky with each other. But that's the main plot. Then there's a subplot with Hero and Claudio. They're kind of the Liesel and Rolf, and um, uh, Benedict and Beatrice are a little bit more the Captain and Maria. And um, uh, a lot, a lot of subplots. There's a, a couple of Barney Five characters, Dogberry and Burgess, and it's it's a very convoluted plot. But a lot of, uh, I mean, there's death. Well, pretend death, deception, uh, dis just a lot of craziness, but a lot of love. But there's a thread of redemption that goes through it. I I'd, I'd say the 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 main themes are love, the quest for love, the two different kinds of love, the romantic, you know, reel me off the ceiling love, and then the more intellectual love. There's deceit. Is it always bad? You have to see the show. And for those who don't remember the plot of the play, in the original Shakespeare, the guys are coming home from war. And so it was a perfect fit with World War II. Right. It's 16th century Messina. And we've changed that to any town USA, 19, mid 1940s. So uh, we've, I mean, we've stayed true to the plot completely by using the original Shakespeare, except we did add three characters, the Cupid muses mm -hmm. that they're um, uh, a little reminiscent of Little Shop of uh, Ronette and Chiffon and Crystal. Those mm -hmm. wonder, that wonderful trio that I fell in love with um in little shops so they're not exactly the same at all but they're there's they're these sort of mystical characters that speak messages to the main characters shakespeare's not going to complain he's not going to sue or anything so we're okay. i don't i think we're good. <laughs> we made him very cute so i think shakespeare, okay, will, shakespeare will be fine with it 
It'll be fine with three we, we did edit, Janet edited the Shakespeare. I mean, we we kept all the Shakespeare pure, but we edited it like you would any adaptation of a, a work into a musical. You know, some of the ideas are within the songs. We Yeah, because Pretty it- Quickly, it, and it, it's very entertaining. It would be Nicholas Nickleby, you know, if, if we would be there for eight hours if we kept it all in, so- <laughs> So tell us about the musical styles. Is it is it Broadway? Is it an eclectic mix of uh, sounds? I because of the forties. I'm sorry, we have a lot of that, but there are some serious, beautiful moments, and I would say it's sort of eclectic with an emphasis on the forties style. Yes, forties. Um, someone asked us recently, what you know? Who would you? say it's in the style of and I even hesitate to put my name in the same sentence as these two people but because I revere them greatly but maybe Cole Porter Frank Lesser I mean if I can if that would be the goal mm -hmm. um but like we really tried to match stylistically like Hero and Claudio or just the ooey gooey la 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 land lovers so their melodies are very leaping and melodic and soaring whereas Benedict and Beatrice, a lot of accidentals and uh, uh, syncopated rhythms, that sort of thing. And then we have a little Keystone Copsy kind of music for the Dogberry and Burgess character. And the Nani Nani, we, the Nani Nani song, which is Nani, there was a Nani Nani moment in the original. It's got this kind of haunting ostinato. So we've really tried to tone paint the melodies, but I'd say it's kind of really more classic Broadway like David said, with an emphasis on the 40s. Cool. So now you, you're listed as both, each of you as music and lyrics. How does that work? How do you two write songs together? Do, do one of you come up with the idea and then share it? Or do you write separately? Or, I'm always curious how teams write. That's a great question. Go ahead, David. Is David frozen? <laughs> he might just be. I think David, oh goodness. Should we do anything about that or should I just keep talking? Oh, oh no, I think he's back. He's back. I just got back. Sorry for the interruption. <laughs> that's hey, that's he was what pondering. Happens. He was yeah. deep in thought. <laughs> you go ahead, David. And with that, it happens. It. Like then, it like does. I said, it's I treat it like live theater. Not that you'd get frozen on live stage, but you know, you never know. You gotta roll with whatever happens technologically. Exactly. But you go often ahead. Then it will start something and then I will come in and edit it or we co-write a melody but we both do both but i would say that lyric lyrically janet is stronger but she's also very musical but we we edit each other constantly that seems to be the value of our relationship we don't mind it we don't have we're never defensive because there's always another answer mm -hmm. and if somebody feels passionately about something then that causes me to, if Jan is passionate about it, then I'll reconsider. But we both write music and words, and I, I have to hand it to Janice. She's brilliant and patient. Well, thank you. But David we took is... the piano together. In fact, at one time in Janet's house, she had two grand pianos in her living room, and we would sit there together. And we came up with the weirdest stuff. Sometimes we'd be playing together, and it would seem like a mistake, but it, like it... It suggested a place to go, maybe an avant-garde place. We discovered mm -hmm. what what called the Trushka chord, which is very dissonant, but we've used it. Yeah. But we're both 
good pianists, I might say, and uh, uh, contribute a lot to each other. We we heighten each other. Well, it, it is interesting because David, I mean, it's interesting how our editing process of editing each other. I mean, even now, if I have to write a letter, you know, to a company about a bill or I mean something totally unrelated or if anything I always have to run everything past David and he edits it I mean if I'm doing something for a Sunday school class David has to edit it for me because he he ma he always makes it better and you know sometimes you think you've done something and it's just perfect and you really don't want to hear anybody go well then but I listen and it's always better always and sometimes with that editing I just go by you had me, you lost me. That's simple with a lyric or a essay or a poem or whatever. And it's good to have that kind of friend as an editor because you don't want to be safe when you're writing. You want to write, let it flow and then clean. People that edit as they are, are limiting themselves. They play safe. And so neither Janet nor I have to play safe. We know the editor will catch us. You know, so I enjoy the process of editing and just commenting. Was there a song and that we flowed? Go ahead. No, I was going to say, was there a song that the, the two of you just found just came out so easily? It just flowed right out of you. And then was what, was there a song that just went, I'm bashing my head against the piano because I'm having such a hard time with this? That's a great question. My favorite song in the musical is the Nani Nani song. And it came out really fast. I just, I that I the favorite one. I would say, boy, as far as bashing my head, David, what would you say? Well, my observation is you sort of bash your head for everything, but it's, it's not bashing because <laughs> consider it productive work. You know, you don't. I, I I love those stories of people saying I got this and wrote it down on a napkin in five minutes. That's not really how theater works. That, I must I'm, say, the more you happened. write, you get into a place where the pump has been primed and you you can write more quickly because your brain is just full of possibilities. Um, That's a good point. I kind of bash my head about, I mean, I get like headaches and stomach aches and tears over just about everything <laughs> I, I ever write. I mean, I'm walk, I'm pacing my house. I'm walking the neighborhood, talking to myself. I know, I know my neighbors want to, you know, carry me away or something, but I just, I, I obsess over everything. Well, Janet is a great puzzle solver and this is consistent with that Thank personality you. trait. Well, I, I, I mean, I do love like these books that are like brain games, puzzlers, figure this one out. I've always got one going. I mean, in my house, I have like little toothpicks that are put together in certain ways laid out and you got to move it to make four triangles instead of three. And yeah. I'll give you an example of Janet's brain. She knows every capital of every country in the world. She knows the first 100 numbers of pi, and she comes up with these mathematical puzzles, which amaze me. Well, thank you. And this goes thank into her lyric crafting. Well, thank you. Thank but you. It's I not a lack of soul. It's To me, it's, it's a matter of finding the perfect thing that also means and sounds perfect. You know, like well, good, good Broadway you, writing. For sure. Very nice. Thank you. 
So let's talk about the production history. So what what year did you start writing it? And then talk about how how it's um, flowed and and where it's gone from there. David? Well, I think we first for a local theater group uh, in 2011. Am I correct, Janet? I believe it was 12. 12, okay. And it was seen by about 10,000 people over a course of several um 17 performances purposes. yeah but it encourages we've 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 added and changed and written the in a lot and perfected it but that was the first time it was performed we um you know it's sometimes it's i don't know if this is true of um, just us or a lot of writers once you do something you think oh i'm on to my next project so we wrote a bunch of other things in the meantime and raised kids and, you know, got divorced. Well, he got, I did, he, he didn't, but you know, life happens. Yeah. And so a lot of stuff went on and uh, then we just, and it sort of was on the back burner. And well, then, if you recall, Ed Key, uh, the gentleman we're working with on this new production, mm -hmm. saw it at the first performance. He said, this has to be developed. So we have been threatening to, continue working on it for 10 years and finally about a year and a half ago started working on it in diligently but i think it is better 10 years down the road which is life experiences you 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 know i guess your brain starts to fade but at least you have more experience yeah. so i you know as much as i think oh why did we wait 10 years i'm kind of glad we did but ed has been great on you know getting helping us get all the tracks down and all that kind of stuff. And it's been sort of, you know, on the crock pot of the back burner of our brain for, for 10 years, yeah. but it was very, very well received back in, you know, 2012, but I think it's a whole lot more fleshed out now. So that's yeah. a good thing. That happens all the time, right? It, it just, it's time. It's, it's perspective. Yes. It's being able to look back and then hearing an audience and how it reacts, right? Because Absolutely. I, I work with so many, I just directed a show about a few months ago where the writers had never seen it on stage with people. So they knew what it looked like here, but then when they had an audience and they had actors, they went, oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Whoops. And you, I mean, sometimes something that is not an ounce funny to you on the page People are on the floor and vice versa. Something you're just, yes. you know, rolling and it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is why all great, all great shows are workshop, La Jolla or New Haven. Yeah. And I've read lots of stories of, of musicals that we know where a, a song was put in the last. Jan, tell your story about I want to wash that man right out of my hair. Oh, I, I've heard it. I've heard this as a fact. Um, I took a class through the Dramatist Guild, and I think I heard that on this, that I want to, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair, was in the show, was in South Pacific, and it was just not going over. And they couldn't figure it out. Then they added real water, a real shower on the stage, and it became a hit. But not when she was just going like this, but when she had it coming down, it made all the difference in the world. And, and who and doesn't you, love that song? And you don't know. You just don't know why until you try some stuff. And like you said, you had two pianos together. You try stuff and, and figure it out from there. Again, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And even when it doesn't work, 
there's that moment where you're going, oh, there's a germ of, you know, inspiration. So Right. And finding out what doesn't work is just as important as finding out what does work. <laughs> For sure. We save ourselves Elizabeth. a lot of embarrassment. <laughs> so so what have you guys been are you still working on that show and are you working on anything else yes we are we are we're we basically written much ado we're still uh still uh just finishing up some uh, bow music and scene change music but that's mostly cut and paste you know we're just finishing up and now it's sort of in ed key's hands to do the promotion and all that kind of stuff but um, the show, the next, our next, the next uh, goal, I guess we would say, would be um, we wrote a show a few years ago called Scheherazade and her Thousand and One Night Stands. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story of Scheherazade is a classic Middle Eastern and um, Asian tale, iconic. My dad used to tell me that the story of Scheherazade when I was a little girl and Every night I go, tell me the shit, you know, you go, well, do you want to hear three little pigs? No. Do you want to hear Snow White? No. Want to hear Scheherazade? So we wrote a musical um, based on her story. And uh, we've, we've had, I guess, th- four different performances of it. Yes. I think that's right. Uh, a, a college here and then a, a local, like a community theater group, which was great. And, and a stage reading, you know, and we're still in the development. We're getting really close on it, but it is a, like I say, it's an iconic classic tale. We've turned it into a musical comedy, but yet it's a, it's a restore. It's a story of redemption. It's definitely a story of redemption. I think just about every great story has a thread of redemption, you know? So it, it, I'm excited about it and we will uh, be working with Ed on that as well, but there's some great characters in that story. So that I'd say that's the next thing. And then we have another show called once upon a tree. That is a fantasy that we've had. We entered a contest a few years ago and I think we came in second. Right. So, um, but you know, it's real easy to let these let life happen and then you let them drop, but we're picking them back up. So those are our two next big horizons as far as I'm concerned. David, you have any thoughts on those? I was just going to say with musical theater and writing, the whole thing, and I've read this many times, is just get production you can. Because every time it's produced, even a small theater unit, you learn something. Yes. You know, it's, 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 it's part of the process. And it's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. But you have to love own sake because no theater is guaranteed even Sondheim even Rogers and Hammerstein I mean they had great chances that they would succeed but every every musical has a run and a possibility and likelihood that I mean a possibility won't be liked or it'll be a hit but you have to write theater love it and get as many performances of it as possible there's a lot of people doing it a lot of a lot of masochists out there (laughs) it's so true <laughs> you know we spend how many years like you said that much ado was sitting there for 10 years right it had to percolate and 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 you know figure itself out what other business <laughs> in the world does that if you left if you left your software oh. company for 10 years <laughs> like, 
Right, right. We'd be still using codophones and stuff, you know? <laughs> right. Beep. So, yeah, it, it's it's very underappreciated what we have to go through. Because people are, because, you know, people ask, so what are you doing? How's the musical? Well, yeah, it takes oh. Oh, oh, everybody. So when, you know, can I have a front row seat? Well, (laughs) you know, it's like it takes forever and people mean well and I appreciate it, but it's sometimes I just want to go, you have no clue what I'm going through. My stomach hurts right now. My head hurts. I'm crying. (laughs) My boyfriend's mad at me. In general, this is not a criticism, but I mean, you can divide a lot of people into producers and consumers and people that produce, I don't care if it's a church picnic, mm-hmm. they know there's a lot involved. Get in the homeowner association and find out how much time it takes. Yeah. And then there are people that just go and, and watch and we need those people, but anything good. I mean, theater to me demonstrates the value of hard work, young kids. That's why it's great for them to get in theater. Mm-hmm. You work on something for two months and it has every possibility of falling through. In fact, a lot of theater feels like it's never going to happen. Somebody gets, you know, scared at the last minute or sick, but somehow or another, it comes together, and it's the great. It's a great. Just produce takes work. Oh, it does. Just just a quick story. When we were doing Shahrazad, the oh, first time no. we were doing it with a college group, and the week before, the main uh, male character dropped out it, who knows why was just he just couldn't do it you know he was just like but yeah. so we had to replace that with the director <laughs> the director and then the second performance Shahrazad was overwhelmed and stayed in the bathroom and and cried and wouldn't come out for 45 minutes the day of the performance <laughs> wow so and you she know, did great. And she was fantastic. But, but I get it. You know, I yep. get it. But it, you, you, you Theater just, helps you get in touch with your own personality. You learn a lot about yourself. Yes. You know, why am I afraid? Why am I afraid to audition? What's going to happen? And, and successful people learn that rejection is a huge part of the game. I mean, mm-hmm. most roles you will not get. And the fact that they don't even call you back and say you didn't get it. You're just in in limbo, but that's just life. Yeah. Well, I I look at uh, the stage as theater as a mirror. You know, even just as when we go, we see parts of ourselves. We see parts of other people mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have seen before. But I think doing theater and interacting with those people, it's even more of a mirror. We see ourselves. We see others. We see our faults. We see our faux pas. We see the brilliant parts of our souls Mm -hmm. you know it's it's just it's a grand experience i have a quote from oscar wilde that i'll have to read i was i had it here in my little notebook says i do love oscar wilde he says i regard the theater as the greatest of all art forms the most immediate way in which a human being can share with another the sense of what it is to be a human being you gotta love Oscar Wilde. But I tell you, David is so wit- witty and funny. I always tell him if he had been alive at the same time that Oscar Wilde had been, Oscar would have been really ticked that he had competition. <laughs> That's saying <laughs> it a lot. Would have been. Oscar. No, it's the truth. 
David's got the quickest wit. He's right up there with Oscar. I hope my last few years are a little improved over Oscars. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness. True. Yeah. He had a little suffering. What a brilliant guy. Love him. Uh, I do have a dream someday, and I haven't done it. I would love to turn the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde into children's musicals. Have you ever read the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde? No, I haven't. You know, everybody knows the importance of being earnest and Dorian Gray, and uh, it's brilliant. When, when my children were little, I read the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde to them every night before they went to sleep. Not all of them. There are many of them. Yeah. But they're some of the most brilliant. Deep. The, the deep storytelling. They're meaningful. <laughs> my girls would go, could you just do it without crying tonight, mom? I said, no, <laughs> not really. We'll have to go with, you know, Jack Spratt or something. <laughs> So, so did we just hear the germ of a musical we'll hear in 10 years? Yes. I, I want to call it like um, uh, a wild time or uh, a wild winter night or, you know, something using the, the, the term. This has been on the, you know, back burner for years, mm -hmm. but they're just so brilliant. I don't think uh, full musicals have been done like what I would love to do, maybe take three of them and just have a little trilogy, like, you know, maybe um, 10 minute music, three 10 minute musicals for children, but, but they're for adults too. I mean, the stories are incredibly beautiful. So if you get a chance in all your massive spare time, pick up, <laughs> pick up the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde, because they're really um, not super well known. I mean, I know a lot of literary people who've never heard of them. But I think they're his most beautiful works. Well, when it gets it's to amazing. Him, go on. Sorry. No, no, it's it's amazing how many possible musicals there are. The ones that have made it that came from unlikely sources. Mm -hmm. How green grow the lilacs turn into Oklahoma. And most people admit that, that the original underlying literary work would not be of note at all. Mm -hmm. It would have been forgotten, but the musical certainly wasn't. And even South Pacific. You know, uh, that's odd, but it turned into a great story. Yeah. Oh. So not the tales of uh, the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde. They're really beautiful. So and maybe Hamilton, who could have predicted that? Yes. You well, never know where inspiration is going to come from. You just maybe this time next year, we'll be talking about uh, a wild, a wild, uh, wild walk in the woods or something. So if, if you do, you let me know and we'll come back on and we'll talk about that show as well. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank no you. Problem. Well, again, uh, thank you, Janet and David, for coming on today and uh, talking to us and introducing myself and, and the rest of the world to your show and your future shows. And more importantly, the two of you, because, you. you know, as important as the shows are, it's the creators that we want to get to know. So uh, thank thank you. congratulations Here. on everything you've done. And I look forward to seeing where it all goes in the future. We thank you. This has been just just a, a mountaintop moment for us. We've loved every second. You're a beautiful interviewer. Thank you. You make yeah, it so you're great. easy. You make Not it so intimidating. Easy. You're like we're just in <laughs> Starbucks or something. I want want a grande or a tolly or whatever you call those things. Oh, I, I, I don't go to Starbucks. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, again, Janet, uh, David, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank Have you. a beautiful rest of the week. Thank Blessings. You. 
All right. We were just speaking with Janet McMahon and David Hunsinger, the creators of the musical Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, Tune in next week as we'll speak with another guest or guests about their life, love, and passion that is musical theater. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you.